Everyone doing well, I hope. It's good to see you all. I'll ask you if you have your Bibles to turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. We'll be looking at verses 19 through 30 this morning. Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 30. If you're uh, new here, then uh, at Taylor's First, we're glad to have you. We come off a great week last week. Our, our Easter service is really thankful um, for what the Lord did last week and, and allowing us to worship him together. Um, we come back this week having looked at the account of the resurrection from Luke's gospel. We come back to the book of Acts here at Taylor's First. We, we normally, and this is our, our, our case, usually you come any Sunday, you'll be able to, to find that we've been preaching through a book of the Bible verse by verse. And so that's what we're doing here. We have four more weeks, I believe, including this one that we'll look through Acts. And then we'll take some time and move uh, during the summer. Um, we're going to be preaching this summer through the Minor Prophets. And so it'll be a, a good summer. That sounds like a blast for you guys, I know. But man, the Lord speaks to us from every part of his word. We've, we've titled the summer series, Summer in the Minors. Did y'all get the baseball reference? I, I, somebody else did that. I am not usually very creative. So uh, someone else did that, but we'll be looking toward that. So a few more weeks and then in the book of Acts, then we'll go into our summer series. And then good Lord willing, in the fall, we'll come back to the book of Acts and continue there looking together. So just, just a little more time here. And, and, and really, as we consider Acts chapter 11, we're just um, really thankful how the Lord lines things up. We we see uh, last week of the resurrection, and then, and then this week we come back, having a big Sunday last week, and just thinking about what God's done through Jesus Christ, his son. Now, this week we come back, and we're just going to consider this morning how this passage is next for us, and how here we see how God uses ordinary people, regular people, to advance his gospel. And I think that's quite right for us. This past week, for some of you may not know, our ministry team, myself included, was invited to come to Richmond, Virginia, to the headquarters of the International Mission Board, which is our, of course, sending agency at Southern Baptist. Some 3,000, 3,500 missionaries are out there. And so what a blessing that was to go. They asked me to preach to chapel and to the personnel and to the staff there on Wednesday. And our team got to go and kind of tour the place and see what we give to and how it works. And I was just reminded, just touring that place and thinking and meeting some of our missionaries even, I was just reminded of how the Lord uses just regular people to advance this glorious message in his kingdom. And so I'm just really thankful for that. And then we come to this passage today in Acts chapter 11. Jumping back into the context today, we, we really look back to verse 18. Previously, Peter had, had taken the gospel and one Cornelius, who was a Gentile, Peter had preached the gospel. They had believed, so now the Gentiles believed. Peter came back and had to tell the church in Jerusalem, hey, the Gentiles believe, and you get verse 18. Verse 18 is this epoch-making declaration by a bunch of conservative Jewish leaders in the church in Jerusalem, and they say, 
then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. This major shift that not only is the gospel of Jesus Christ for the Jews, it is also for the Gentiles. And then the rest of the book of Acts will really be taking that gospel systematically to the Gentiles. And so how that gospel continues. Really, the book of Acts is a book of church history and how uh, history of the church began and continues through. And so you have the conversion of the Gentiles with Cornelius in chapter 10. You'll have Paul taking the gospel to the nations, to the Gentiles in chapter 13. In between those two places, you have two stories, and that's what we are looking at over the next few weeks. I know that's a lot, but I want you to be aware of what's happening here in the life. The first story is of the expansion of the church, and that's what we see in verses 19 through 30. And so let's read this together as God's word keeps going, keeps advancing in verse 19. Acts chapter 11, verse 19 says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. And I just pray as we gather here today, as we've already sang of your goodness and your kindness to us, Father, I, I just pray today that, that we would look to this passage, we would be encouraged by it, we would be strengthened as your people, and we will be prompted, Lord, prompted to not only believe in you, but to proclaim you and to live for you and to serve others with a heart and a passion for you. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to be here, gathered in this place. And again, we give you all the praise and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to tell y'all this morning of a special place to me before I really look into this, and it'll fit the context, I think, of, of this entire passage. And it's a, it's a little village called Rudy, a little village called Rudy. My family and I, all but Patton, we hadn't taken Patton there, but uh, the rest of us have been, been to Rudy, and, and Rudy sits in southern uh, India in the heart of the mountains. In fact, the only way you can get to Rudy is by coming to the end of the road getting out, and then hiking about seven kilometers straight uphill. And so Rudy is a distant place. 
some years back, this, this little area was taken over kind of by some tribal people that had come from the north looking for some freedom. In other words, they wanted to be alone. So they had traveled, they'd gotten this, to this place, and they found this spot in the, a little valley in the top of the mountains. And now there's some 26 villages up there. Rudy's just one of those. And so it's at the end of the, the world in many ways. And, and, and in a few years ago, I had the opportunity or the request to come to Rudy. A friend of mine in, in India said, hey, we, we need you to come to Rudy. And so I did. I was traveled up there by myself the first time with some friends. And we traveled, we hiked, I exhausted, passed out four or five times, stopped and waited, took me three days. I'm just kidding about that. But it's a long way to get there. And then finally we get to Rudy. And when we walk into this little village in Rudy, we are met by people these villagers there, the ones who live there, singing praises to the Lord, thanking God we have come. And now this kind of blew my mind because, again, we are where electricity has not gotten yet. This was just 2016, 2015. We're where electricity hadn't gotten yet still. And so we're up there and we're met by believers in the middle of nowhere. And, and so we start to learn the story of Rudy. And the guy I talked to, they introduced me to as the pastor and so I asked him, how, how did the gospel get to Rudy? And he told me this incredible story. He said, 12 years ago, my wife was sick. I was the witch doctor. In those villages, the witch doctor would be someone who would try to conjure up through the spirit some sort of cure for something. Usually it involved alcohol or some sort of thing that would numb whatever pain you would have. And so the witch doctors quite often were alcoholics. And he said, that was me. And so I was the witch doctor, and I couldn't solve my wife's problem. And so finally, we were convinced to send her down the mountain to a hospital. So we sent her. Some others went. I didn't go. He said, we sent her down the mountain to the hospital to see if they could help her because she was in such great pain. When they got down the mountain, they went to a little hospital in a village or a town called Salur, a hospital that was started by Lutherans from Germany about 100 years before. And there is there in that hospital, his wife was told there's no cure for what you have. Her body had been eaten up with cancer. And so there in that hospital, a nurse who was there helping her meet her physical needs, shared the gospel with her, and she believed. And she trusted the Lord. And there she had a decision to make. Do I stay here in this, in this hospital and die or do I go back to Rudy is what was told. And she went with confidence and she said, take me back to Rudy. And so she went back to Rudy and she was just simply placed in her little hut, their little house they have there. And every day, all she did all day long was pray. And usually her prayers just consisted of calling out to Yaseya, which is their name for Jesus. And so ultimately, she passes. Her husband, the witch doctor, tries to find out what's going on. What just happened? He's angry. He's upset. He doesn't know what happened when she went down the mountain. So he says, I'm going to go find out who this Yaseya is. And so he takes off and goes to the hospital. And there at the hospital, he finds the nurse. There again, the gospel is presented to him. And he hears of what his wife trusted in and how there's hope beyond death. And he believes. And now he goes back to Rudy. And some 12 years later, the entire village of Rudy is following Jesus. 
persecuted by the other villages. They look down upon by others. The entire village is worshiping and following Jesus. And the reason I tell you that story, the reason I tell you that story is because in some ways that's what we see here in the book of Acts. Oftentimes we think that the gospel's dependent upon some great mind or some great theologian or some great preacher. We think the gospel's dependent and its advancement's dependent on some great personality that can come and win the day and we begin to be personality followers, if you will. But what I want you to see and understand when we look to God's word, God's kingdom advances and expands by the sheer and mere ordinary believers that trust in Jesus and tell others about him. When when we see about Antioch, it's not Paul, it's not Barnabas, it's not Peter, it's not any of the apostles that have gone to Antioch, the third largest city in the Roman Empire. There's Rome, there's Alexandria, there's Antioch the third largest one, it's not any of the great leaders. It's simply those believers who were scattered because of the persecution with Stephen and they fled out of Jerusalem and they went to Antioch and wherever they went, they told others about Jesus. And the church continued and it advanced. And we see how the gospel works. Of course, when we look in the book of Acts, the main character of all of this, as well as all of Scripture, is God himself. God is the one at work. God is the one doing this. The people here are simply tools in the hand of God. And to advance the gospel, what we see in our passage is who it is and what it is that God uses to advance his gospel. God uses ordinary people within his church to spread his gospel and to do good works in the world. Ordinary people to spread his gospel and to do good in the world. That's what God uses to build his kingdom primarily. And so what I want to see this morning is just that that simple truth here. The the first thing I want us to notice is that God uses the no-name disciple. God uses the no-name disciple. And when I say God uses the no-name disciple, I'm not saying they're unimportant. In fact, they're vitally important to the advancement of the kingdom. What I'm saying is, is when we read the scriptures, we see how often the advancement of the gospel goes using people he doesn't even name. People, we don't know who they are, but the gospel continues. And if we believe this is the greatest message and this is the greatest work, we see how God uses regular, ordinary, no-name disciples to take the gospel. And I want you to know, I think that is glorious. It's not just some high and learned ones. It's not just some experts on this, that, or the other. It's just simply those who are faithful faithful in their ordinary places and their ordinary means to preach and teach the good news, to tell others about what they have found. The advancement, in our, the advancement of the gospel in our passage, again, comes from those who were scattered. They took the gospel with them. And it, it should be the case for all of us. When we go, we take the gospel with us. They even shared the gospel that were different with people that were different from them. It says here that they were scattered in verse 19 because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. They went as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. Now you say, 
They didn't take the gospel to people different, did they, Josh? Well, the next verse tells us they did because we have, again, that contrasting conjunction. They spoke to no one except the Jews, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also. Now, we've seen Hellenists before in chapter 6. Uh, most likely in chapter 6, those are Jews who were raised in Greek culture. And so while they may be Jewish by nationality, they weren't raised in a Jewish culture or in a, with a Jewish language, right? And so they're, they're separate. They're different. Here in our passage, that may very well be the case again. But what we see here is that the gospel is going to those, and they're proclaiming the gospel to those who were even different from them. Different culture, different language. They're doing what they can to get the gospel to them. And we see the gospel advancing to those who were different. These Hellenists, these differences that were seen back in chapter 6, they're still taking the gospel to them. Now surely, we have heroes of the faith. We have Peter, we have Paul, we have Stephen, we have Barnabas. But again, the majority, the vast majority of the spread of the gospel throughout history has been through people whose names we will never know. Through people whose names we will never know. One of my favorite passages really kind of has always just struck me in the New Testament is Hebrews chapter 11. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11, if you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, you know that's the, the hall of faith, right? It's where it's by faith. And the author of Hebrews just continually speaks of those who have gone on before. And by faith, they accomplished this. By faith, they did that. By faith, they trusted in the Lord. By faith, they raised this. By faith, they, they preached this. All of that you see. But then it gets to the end of chapter 11. And he speaks about those whose names we don't know. And he says, he says, these are the ones, by uh, verse 35, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sown in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep, of goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom, as verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. These ones whose names we do not even know, the author of Hebrews says, these are the ones the world's not worthy of because they advanced and took the gospel, believing by faith. And though we do not know their names, the point of Hebrews 11 is the Lord knows their names. And that's most important. That's primary. They accomplished so much for the kingdom and none of us even know their name, but the Lord knows their name. And that's why in the very next chapter, Hebrews 12, he encourages us, do not grow weary. We're not doing this for fortune or fame. We're not doing this for our name to be in lights anywhere, to be exalted, to be looked at as celebrities. That's not why we take the gospel to the nations. We're doing this because God has commanded us to do this and the lives of those people that we take the gospel to are desperate for this, desperate for this truth. In other words, this is what's happened to me and what can I do but share it, not to gain any position or place. And Luke is showing, Luke is showing what happens when faithful men and women speak, share the gospel with others. The church is established and built. You may think you're small. 
You may think you're insignificant in light of all the major events in the world or things going on or this, that, and the other. You may think what you have to offer is not really a lot. What I'm telling you is that in the hands of God, you can reach the nations. In the hands of God, you can change the world. These believers in Antioch literally will change the course of human history. They will change the course in human history. How? Because they go to Antioch, which is the gateway to the Mediterranean for all that's coming from the Middle East. They go to Antioch, the third largest city, and they proclaim the good news, and the church is established. And God, through this church in Antioch, will raise up believers from all the nations around them, raise up believers. And in, in Acts chapter 13, it will be this church that sends out the first missionaries into Europe into Central Asia, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas and others. It'll be this church that sends the gospel out that will change the course of human history, even while we are here. And this church was established by a bunch of no-name disciples who simply loved the Lord and shared his good news. And to me, that's encouraging. To me, that's encouraging. The Lord uses those no-name disciples to advance his gospel. The Lord uses next, as we said, God not only uses the no-name disciple, God uses his church. I said who and what. God uses the no-name disciple and he uses his church. We see this in verse 22. The gospel is advancing. The hand of the Lord was with them. This is God's work. A great number who believed turned to the Lord and the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Here, we know this church in Jerusalem is, is still central. This is still where the apostles kind of based their ministry out, although many of them had spread, but this is still the place. They had heard the word of the growth that was going on, and it was important for them to go and check it out. So they decided to send Barnabas there. They heard the report, so they sent Barnabas to Antioch to check it out. Now, this was not because the church felt uh, in the sense that they had to, to stifle this or to put their thumb on this, but it is in the sense that what was happening in Antioch needed to be connected to what was going on in Jerusalem. In other words, the church itself and the teaching and the preaching and the beliefs, the theology, the confession, all of that, it needed to be seen that what they were doing in Antioch was not contrary to what the apostles believed and taught there in Jerusalem. Not contrary to what the apostles held fast to. So they send Barnabas, make sure they have the right theology, make sure they have the right practice, make sure they understand rightly what it looks like to be a faithful follower. And what I mean by saying God uses the church, he uses the church in this way that he allows us to set ourselves up in accountability with one another so that we do not teach things that are false or wrong, but we teach in accordance with the word of God as the saints have understood it for all time. And so ultimately, we, we see here they want to make sure what's happening in Antioch fits, is right. If there's something wrong, they want to correct it. This works, by the way. I remember y'all, uh, I'm sure, have been to countless numbers of associational, Baptist associational meetings, right? Anybody? Okay, never mind. So I'm sure you've been to those. I remember my first meeting. A church was applying to join the associations. About 30 years ago, I was in college. I thought, man, this would be cool. I nerded out on this kind of stuff. Still do. 
And so I'm thinking, this is cool. And I go, and at my first meeting, there's a report. There's a church that was trying to join our association. So what happened? We send three pastors that they decided to go look into the church, see what they believed, see what they offered. When we got there, those three pastors recognized that this church was not a Baptist church. They did not believe what we believed. They did not follow the same practice we followed. So while they said we are thankful for them, we do not believe they should join our association. And me not knowing, I, I raised my hand and voted too. I don't even know if I should. And said, I agree. Why? Because we recognize that as believers in the church, the Lord has given us his word and we believe these things together. And we join together for this. And so the church in Jerusalem sends Barnabas to make sure this in Antioch was of God, was right theology, right teaching. And that was right and it was proper. And as they go, they send Barnabas, a leader whose life was born out in his fruit, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. In fact, Barnabas was not even his name, it was his nickname. His name was Joseph, Acts 4 tells us. But he was such a, a one who was an encourager, they named him the son of encouragement, Barnabas. So his nickname was the son of encouragement. Joseph was his name, but they knew him by Barnabas. And his name was born out. His, his character was born out in his very nickname. And Barnabas goes, and what he finds is God is at work. The evidence of the grace of God is at work, verse 23 says. And Barnabas, there putting his stamp of approval on behalf of the church, upon the work that's going on in Antioch, says, I know what is needed next. We need to find a good leader to come in and teach them and help them and, and, and show them the way. So Barnabas remembers, probably stayed on his mind for years. This is probably some eight years to ten years since Saul had been converted and come to Jerusalem and had to escape. Barnabas had welcomed Saul in, in Jerusalem, and, and, and there was some, some talk, and he had to escape for his life, even from Jerusalem, so they sent him to Tarsus. Some eight to ten years later now, Barnabas is in Antioch. He's hearing of the gospel that's spread. He's seeing this body, and he says, this would be perfect for Saul. And so Barnabas, the encourager that he is, goes to Tarsus, gets Saul, brings him back, and now Saul is here teaching these believers in the church. Barnabas sees that this is a good work. He also sees that we not only need one another in the church, we need good, healthy leadership to teach us, to show us, and to guide us, shepherd us in the faith. So he goes and he gets Saul, and he brings Saul back, and Saul begins to teach them. It says, for a year, he taught them and encouraged them and showed them the truth of God's word. For a whole year, they met in church, and he taught many people. Now, surely, I think we can tell by what Saul taught. Saul taught him about Jesus, the Christ, his death, his life, his death, his resurrection, his, his exaltation, the gift of the Spirit that comes um, through his name his present reign as king and lord, his, his future return to come back for his people. Surely he taught them about Christ. In fact, I believe it shows us here in this passage that the message was so centered on Christ that all of those around them in Antioch started calling them Christians. 
In other words, that was their message. It's who they talked about, it's what they preached, it's who they proclaimed. Jesus was so central in their message here that it tells us in Antioch, Luke gives us a little narrative, it was in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now whether this was some some name that they were trying to make fun of them or, or whatever it may be, what the case is is that the believers in Antioch so lived their life centered upon Jesus Christ, who he is, what he taught, and what he did, that everybody else recognized it and said, those are Christians. They did the same thing with others. These are Caesareans. They they follow Caesar or the Herodians. They follow Herod. But here's this group. This group are Christians. They follow Christ. They follow Christ. And so here the disciples are known as Christians together which means their message was clear. Who they were following was clear. What they were teaching was clear. I would hope that it would be the case that if others saw our church in our context, hearing what we teach, hearing what we proclaim, hearing what we bring out, that they would say, those are Christians. They're followers of Christ, not without us telling them that, but by them seeing our character. And you see this twice in this passage. Barnabas' character is seen so clearly that they give him a nickname. He is an encourager. But the church's character is seen so clearly that they nickname them. Those are Christians. That's all they talk about. That's who they follow. Those are Christians. And so it may be the case for us as this this word Christian has kind of become mainstream and just represents something simple. In fact, oftentimes I I meet people and I'll say something different. I'm a believer or, or, or I'm a follower of Christ or something else because sometimes the name Christian nowadays, sadly and unfortunately, can carry a negative connotation, but not here. It testified to who they believed, who they followed, how they lived their life. It testified to that as the church. And that's how the church should be known. Followers of Christ. More than anything else, that's how the body of the believers should be known. Followers of Christ. It's who we preach. It's who we follow. It's who we look to for direction through his word. Followers of Christ. God uses his church for this. I can say, Again, if you just think about Rudy, the little village, an ordinary, simple little nurse in the town called Salur, in a small little place in the middle of nowhere, even itself, India, shared the gospel with a woman who was dying of cancer. And through that proclamation, the gospel spread through that woman and even her death to the village where everyone now believes. A no-name disciple, no-name follower, but the Lord knows her name. But not only that, the reason why I was called and had the privilege of being called to Rudy is because the pastor said, come and teach us. Help us know what it means to be better followers of Christ. And by God's grace, I got to go countless times there and just open God's word with them and show them who Jesus was and what he's done. Why? Because God has used all of his church to proclaim his kingdom. To proclaim his kingdom. Third and finally, God uses our good works. 
verse 27 through 30. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did. And they did. God uses our good works. There's a simple distinction that's probably too simplified, really, to be honest. But, but it may be helpful. When you get through the Old Testament in scriptures, the, the message of Christianity was come and see. Come and see. You had to come to the temple to worship. You had to come to the temple to, to see the sacrifices. Come and see. But when you get to the New Testament, it shifts from come and see to go and tell. To go and tell. Now, I say that simplified, but in many ways, those simplifications help us understand a major distinction. Because oftentimes, the mistake we make as believers is we're come and see kind of people, right? And in other words, instead of telling somebody about the gospel, you tell somebody, hey, you know, would you come to church with me? Let my preacher tell you. Y'all get what I'm saying? I'm happy to tell anybody, but y'all give me, y'all give Pastor Stephen, y'all give us way too much low-hanging fruit, if you know what I mean. When you have the ability yourself through the testimony that you have received in Christ Jesus, how he saved your life, to tell them yourself of the good news of Christ. And so ultimately, the message of the New Testament is not come and simply see. By all means, invite people to church. We're a cool place. I'm a good pastor. <laughs> Decent. But the message is not simply come and see. The message in the New Testament is go and tell, right? Go and tell of the good news. And so here we definitely go and tell. We preach Jesus. In fact, you see, that's exactly what it says they did in Antioch. They were preaching the Lord Jesus. They were proclaiming. They were speaking. It even says they were speaking the word. They were speaking the word. They were preaching the word. But another way, that's primary, by the way, how the gospel spreads. But another way the work of the church is seen is in needing this, and, and here we need this kind, of, this kind of vision or testimony or word from the Lord for the first time in this passage of how there's coming a famine, and so the Lord lays it on the heart of the church to send relief, to do good, to send things. The tendency for the church quite often, especially in contexts and cultures where it's very difficult to be a believer or very hard, like in Antioch, the tendency is for church to become insulated and isolated. That we become inward. We, we simply say, let's, let's huddle up here and talk about some things. But the impetus of the New Testament is never for us to become insulated or isolated. In fact, it's the opposite of what we're supposed to do. The, what we are supposed to do is worship our king and let that be known everywhere. Everywhere in what we do. And here we see it. Here we see that not only were you to share and speak, you are to serve others by sending relief, by doing good, by caring for them. And we don't need another Agabus to step up and tell us about this. One time's enough in God's word that tells us what we are to do as the church is not only to speak the truth, but to serve others through good works. In fact, it is the service of others through good works that often paves the way, gives the road, tells us or gives us the ability to speak the truth of the gospel of Christ. I'll say this, we're not a humanitarian effort here. 
We are an effort by which the gospel goes forth and people get saved. And we'll use all those humanitarian needs out of the goodness of kindness of our own heart through what God has put in us to spread that and care for others only for that purpose to tell them of the good news of Christ Jesus. To tell them of it. I love the story of Rudy again. To come back to it. Those villages, are some 26 in that little valley up there, and those villages... They despised what was happening at Rudy, and they persecuted him until Rudy started taking some of their eggs. Y'all get what I'm saying? And just simply sharing it with their neighbors until they started opening up their well because the, the village next door's well went dry. And so they said, come get water from our well until they started reaching out in some way to help out the neighboring villages, they were persecuted. But when they started doing that, God started opening doors. And so now by God's grace, others in other villages are starting to hear the good news of Christ from the believers in Rudy. And the gospel is spreading. You see, good works are what we're created for, the Bible tells us. He gives us those things so we can expand and give and share the gospel. The gospel not only transforms hearts, but it transforms communities as well through believers. Here at, at Taylor's First, just to, to be clear, there are ample opportunities to do this. From Mission 127, our home repair group, we serve in three local schools. We have ministries that help with poverty. We have ministries that help with addictions. We have ministries that help in any way we possibly can here in our community. And if you have a heart for reaching into our community in some way, let us know. We want to help you do just that. And those opportunities are rampant. So there's no reason for any of us to say we don't have an opportunity or a place because we have those. You can learn about them through Miss Kathy, through our, our connection desk, anything you want to do. Because we believe that our community must look different because we are here. We're here. But ultimately, and more so, our community must look different because we are not only here, but we're not silent. We share the gospel of Christ. And we do so through caring and loving and transforming our community and speaking and preaching the good news of Jesus. Two things are central in the book of Acts. In this passage, the engagement of ordinary believers in the advancement and evangelization of the world and the role of God's word and his truth in all of this. God just simply calls us to be faithful. Preach and speak the good news. Live like it makes a difference. And it says the hand of God was on them. This is what God blesses. The Lord has strategically placed his church, Taylor's First Baptist, as well as every other gospel-centered, Christ-proclaiming church, he strategically placed them in a place to reach their community and the world. And everyone, everyone that's a part of Christ's church is a part of this advancement. Everyone. Everyone can and should proclaim the good news of Jesus. If you've been saved by Christ, tell somebody about it. But everyone also can and should serve in his name to help out our community so they know the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what we do. This is what we're about as a church. 
proclaiming the good news of Christ and living it out in our communities, in our places. And there's a spot for all of us there. Today is that we, in this time together, we think about God's grace. It says God's grace was evident. And maybe God's grace is evident in your own life. And the Lord's working in you to show you that, that not only are you a sinner, but there's a Savior for you. And you can trust in that Savior and follow him. And you hear the good news preached and proclaimed. And you say, that's who I need. I want to be identified as one who belongs to Jesus. Let the world know I'm a Christian. Maybe that's you today. And we would love for you to make that known to all of us. And as you do then we would love to plug you in to any and every service area we have in our church ministry we have so you can serve too and you can help our community be changed in the light of the gospel of Christ Jesus. We want to train you and equip you so that you can speak and tell the gospel with confidence. We want all of this for you. We would love for you to join in with us in this thing, in this task we've been given. We're not looking for extraordinary, well-known wordsmiths we're not looking for experts in this, that, or the other. We're simply looking for those who are faithful to the gospel of Christ Jesus to change the world. That's what we're looking for. That's what God has called us to. And in his grace and his goodness, he has joined us here together at Taylor's First for that purpose and task. Maybe today is the day you say, I'm ready to do what God's called me to here at Taylor's First Baptist. At the end of our service, during this closing song, we'll have some of our pastors, Pastor Nathan, Pastor Stephen, Pastor Jeremy, some of our, our team back here to ready to receive you. If you want to be prayed for, if you want to be encouraged, if you want to say, I'm ready to serve, we want to know about this. We want to help plug you into these things. We want you to join and be a part of our body as we seek to change the world for Christ Jesus, just as these believers did from Jerusalem to Antioch. That's what we desire. So I ask you to move today. Take that next step in whatever it may be. Take that next step in following the Lord here, whether it's joining our church, joining one of our service areas, whether it's being a part of the body of Christ, or even most importantly, whether it's giving your life to Jesus. Join us in doing the task of changing the world in his name. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Christ who he is and what he has done for us, the calling that he has placed on our lives, Father. So I pray that you would use us for your glory, for your glory. God, even as we end, close out this service with this song of response, Father, may, may you work on each and every heart in this room. May they be asking the question, what's next for me? What would you have me to do? Where would you have me to serve? And Father, if it's today that they need to, to tell the world and let the world know that, that they follow Christ Jesus, then, then may today be the day. If it's today that they need to, to, to make that next step of joining this body to serve this community for your glory, may that be today as well. You work, Father. You work. All of this we ask, God in absolute dependence upon you for your name. Bless our church as we seek to praise your name in our community and to the nations for your glory. Father, thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together and sing.